Thanks, Ben. Now, as I said, my name's Jono. Maddie's older than Google. I, uh, I'm older than the internet and the invention of the steam engine. Uh, <laughs> no, only one of those is true. You can guess which. Well, hey, let's, um, let's pray and we'll, we'll get into a great, important part of the Bible together. Let's pray, though. Oh, Father God, we pray, please, that by your Holy Spirit, you might do a miraculous work among us tonight. Please open our eyes to see Jesus clearly, to hear his word, to receive it by faith. And Father, we pray, please, that you would give us an even bigger view of who you are tonight. Please blow us away with your might and your power and your love and your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that you would feed us with your word and encourage us and send us out in in your power. Amen. Well, these last few weeks of EV Grow, I reckon have, I hope, made one thing really clear. Right at the centre of our church here, if you haven't caught it yet, is one big audacious goal. We want to see the good news of Jesus go out here on the coast and beyond. That's what we're on about, seeing people go from being enemies of God to now saved by Jesus as death and resurrection, crossing over from death to life, and we want to see that happen all over the coast and beyond. But I wonder, I wonder if you've noticed a a peculiar thing that happens if you are on about sharing the gospel with people. It's, It's a constant surprise to me, the people who respond well when they hear the good news of Jesus and are saved, you know, it happens for one person, while another person perhaps the kind of person that you would kind of expect to become a Christian, well, they're just like, thanks, but no thanks. No, not interested. I've seen this play out in a bunch of ways over the years. Uh, My best mate growing up in school, he was a Christian, so was his mum. His dad wasn't. His dad was a hard man, he was cynical, he was angry, he did not want to set foot in a church. One time a pastor from his church came to visit my friend's house and as the pastor rocked up, his dad started yelling at this pastor on the front lawn. He's just having a go at him, he's yelling at him. He eventually got the hose out and hosed down the pastor on the front lawn until the dude took off and ran off back home. It was pretty crazy. Now, can you imagine everyone's surprise when my friend's dad was led to Christ by that same pastor. It was pretty crazy. Now, me and my friend, we thought this was hilarious. We were like, I can't believe your dad's going to have to apologise to him now because he hosed him down all those years ago on the front lawn. We thought it was pretty funny and we're very happy as well. But sometimes it's actually the exact opposite experience can happen as well. Now, I have some lovely neighbours over the back fence. I've been chatting to these guys for years about Jesus. Uh, And they're great friends. They're just really nice people. I just like hanging out with these guys. Our kids are playing all the time. It's just good fun hanging out with them. And I find myself thinking, I reckon those guys would make really good Christians. You know what I mean? Kind of family people, loving. They seem to be exactly the kind of people that you'd expect to become Christians. Now, last year, I actually had the privilege of performing their marriage ceremony. I got to uh, see them married. And part of that meant that I needed to sit down with them and talk about Jesus with them and go over the gospel and Christianity and, and marriage and all of that. And so I did. I went around one Saturday morning. We hung out. We opened the Bible. I talked about Jesus. I told them about Christianity. 
And then at the end of it all, I was like, this is really important stuff, I hope you get it. Would you consider coming along to this life series at church? We can talk more about it there. And the answer I got was really clear and quite firm. No thanks. It's not for us. No. (laughs) Now, we're still mates, I'm not going to give up, we'll keep hanging out, I'll keep praying, we'll keep chatting, I'll keep chipping away at this with them. But why on earth... On one day, does angry hose dad become a Christian, but then on another day, my neighbours don't? Why does that happen? (laughs) And it's not just them, is it? I could tell you about, I'll tell you about two of my youth group kids who came up through here at Eva Youth when I was a leader, year 7 to 12. One kid, a lovely Christian family kid, year 7, he was like the glue guy for the whole year. He's looking after everyone, he's the friendliest kid, the keenest Christian of them all... Years later, it became clear that the Word of God never took root in his life. He's gone. Meanwhile, I meet another kid on some camp in year eight. He was a crazy kid. He needed Ritalin probably. He was jacked up. He was crazy. He had funny stuff going on in family life. He was a bit of a rough nut at the time. But he heard the gospel in year eight and and God grabbed hold of him. And he responded and He's continued in this Christ, in, in, to this day in Christ, against all odds. Now, the Bible actually paints the same picture as well. Judas, he's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He spent three years with Jesus face to face. Humanly speaking, is there a better opportunity to hear the gospel than to spend three years living with Jesus? hearing Him teach face-to-face, hearing the secrets of life and salvation from the words of our Lord Himself, and yet Judas betrayed Jesus for a bag of money. And then on the other hand, you've got the Apostle Paul, the ultimate rough nut. He dedicated his life to persecuting Christians. If it was up to him, he would have locked them all up, he wanted to get rid of all of them. But in one blinding minute with Jesus, face-to-face with Him, he does a complete backflip. He goes from being the church's worst enemy to now being the one who's the founder of the New Testament church. So why do some people become Christians while others don't? What's the spiritual reality that's at work behind all of this and what does it mean for our mission here? For our mission here on the coast and and beyond as we seek to share this message with a world that so desperately needs to hear it, what does it mean? Because you do realise, I think you do, if you've been at it for a while, evangelism is hard. Sharing Jesus can be confronting, it can feel scary. There are so many people who haven't heard. And when you think on the scale of, of the, the number of people out there who don't know Jesus, it can, it can feel overwhelming, can't it? As you look beyond the barns to the fields out there, it's overwhelming. What hope does the coast have of hearing this gospel and actually being saved. What hope does your friend have of hearing the gospel? Your mum, your dad, your... what hope do you have of hearing the gospel? Perhaps you're sitting here tonight, I know this will be some of you, and you're sitting there going, it's nice to be here, but I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I know that's the case and I'm not actually sure I could ever become one. Perhaps you don't feel like that's a thing that could actually happen for you. What hope is there? That's the question we're going to answer tonight in the Bible. 
Uh, and can I say, it's going to be so helpful. Such an important thing as we look at. If we're going to have any hope of sticking out of a lifetime of sharing Jesus, we desperately need to hear the things that God has for us in His Word tonight. Now, here's the first big building block. This has come straight out of our Bible reading, which we read earlier. And here it is, for anyone to be saved, they must first hear the Word of the Gospel. They must hear the Word of the Gospel. And it's that simple. I should say as well, tonight, we're not just going to work our way through one passage in the Bible, like is our normal thing that we do each week. This term, what we're doing is we're moving all over the Bible, different parts, and building a picture as we deal with these different topics under the heading of salvation. But this first point, you need to hear the Word of the Gospel. It does come straight out of our, straight out of our Bible reading there in Romans chapter 10. Uh, you must be saved to hear the Word. Uh, you must hear the Word to be saved. Now, look at verse 9 there. I reckon verse 9 is one of those verses that are worth underlining. If you've got a pen and you're an underlining person, underline chapter 10, verse 9 of Romans. Here is a profoundly simple description of how you must be saved. Have a look at verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved saved. Now, you need to know two critical things, but you need to make an important response to that knowledge. The first thing you need to know is this, Jesus is Lord. You need to declare that that is the case for you. You need to hear that He's the King and you need to decide that He will be your King. And so, you could declare that by saying it out loud, I declare that Jesus is Lord, but you could do that by praying to Him, Jesus, you are my Lord, I'm going to follow you. But anyone who is going to be saved needs to hear the truth of that, that Jesus is the Lord and they need to decide that He will be their Lord. Own Him as your King, submit to Him. It's the very definition of repentance. To to go from ruling your own life and instead putting that aside and being like, Jesus, you're in charge now. That's a non-negotiable, that's how you become a Christian, that's half of it. The second half is it says there, you need to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And if you do, you'll be saved. Now, I think that sentence there, raised him from the dead, is shorthand for the gospel. If you believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead and that he died for your sins, believe in that, trust in that, and you will be saved. That's actually what we saw last week as Hazy took us through um, last week's um, um, really helpful part of the Bible, wasn't it? Um, We must be saved by believing, trusting in Jesus, what he has done for us. And get this, it's not God's kind help, as Hazy said, in us to make us better so that we can help ourselves, not 10% me, 90% God, 100% by God's grace, through faith, through trust in Him, believe in His death and resurrection, declare Him as Lord, you will be saved. No ifs, no no maybes, it's a done deal, you will be saved. Now, I've got to ask... Have you done that? You personally? Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Saviour. Have you done that? Because He needs to be both. You can't have Him as your King without having Him as your Saviour. You can't treat Jesus so well as the King, the Lord in your life, that eventually He's like, gee, you're doing a pretty good job, I'll have you now. You need to depend on Him for salvation 
and have him as your king. And likewise, you can't believe in him as the saviour and say, yeah, Jesus, I'll take a free ticket to heaven, save me, and yet continue to say, but stay out of my life because I don't want you in charge. Thanks, thanks for dying for me and saving me, but I'll take it from here. No, both. Have him as your king and your saviour. Have you done that? Because this passage says that's the only way to be saved. There is no other way. And what that means is this is a reality that matters for every single human here on the coast and on the face of the planet. But here's the thing, you can only put your trust in this Saviour and have Him as your King if you hear the news of the Gospel. Have a look down at verse 13 there, it's a little, it's like a backwards chain reaction from verse 13. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you're like, good news, you just need to call on the name of the Lord, that's great. But here's the problem, how can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You track the logic flow of that as it falls out there. In fact, come at, it, come at it with me from the opposite direction for a second. Preachers can't preach unless someone sends them. So, you need to send and then the preacher comes and people can't hear unless that preacher comes and then they hear and people can't believe in Jesus for salvation unless they hear the gospel. <laughs> and so, it all starts with sending, that the word would go out, that people would hear it, that they would accept the gospel and respond and call on the name of the Lord. And so, do you see how vital this message is? How all-important, how all-consuming this message is? Everyone must hear the gospel. Everyone. It's the only way, it's the only hope. It's the single most important thing a person could ever hear. Now, I reckon I almost don't need to make this connection, but I will. Guys, this is why EV Grow matters at all, this thing we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Our, our, our buildings here, the mortgage and all that kind of stuff, in one sense, it doesn't matter at all. Like, who cares about a building? None of that's going to matter when we get to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven and be like, hey God, did you see how good the building we built at, at, at EV is? Like, it's got a really nice front lawn and a sweet foyer and Tom Sharp did a great job with the paint. And, you know, like, none of that's going to matter to God. Sorry, Sharpie. Uh, but, <laughs> to whatever degree we can use these facilities here as a tool... As a, as a weapon, as a, as, as a place to spread this message, well, on that level, that's how much it matters, to be used as a tool. And can I say, having good tools is kind of pretty important. If you hire a builder, right, the big thing you care about is they build something good, but you kind of want them to have decent tools as well. You, like, I was in a friend's house the other night and they'd just done a reno a while ago and I was like, oh, this looks really great. And the friends were like, yeah, don't look too closely at it. And I was like, oh, what's happened? It's a long story. But long story short, they hired a builder who was just in way over his head. And like, they told me the story. This dude was like laying floorboards and he didn't have a power saw. So he was cutting the floorboards by hand with a handsaw and laying floorboards. He built a front deck for them without a power saw as well. He was cutting up wood by hand, which is the kind of thing my wife does in the backyard on a day off. He was, it was insane, this crazy story, right? Now, 
on one level, this building's nothing. Who cares? It'll burn up or fall down eventually. But on another level, it's a heck of a tool. It's a power saw. And we want to keep it sharp for this singular reason that more and more people can squeeze in here and hear the message about Jesus. You get it? That's why this stuff matters. So there's the first thing. Anyone, for anyone to be saved, they need to hear the message of the gospel. But I wonder at this point if we've actually fully stopped to consider how far gone we really are. How dire the situation is for those who do need to hear this message. Because on the one hand, it sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Preach the gospel, respond with faith and repent. It sounds easy. Hear a message and respond. Yeah, I'll have Jesus. It sounds pretty simple. Well, here's the complication. And it's a pretty big complication. Here it is. Here's the second thing. Outside of Christ, we have rock-hard hearts toward God. Now, come back in your Bibles there, a few pages into Romans chapter 8. Come back to Romans chapter 8. Have a look at verse 5 with me. This part of the Bible here, it's talking about two different types of people. First of all, it mentions, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh. That's talking about a person who's not a Christian, who doesn't know Jesus. And look at what that kind of person is like. It says, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. And then it mentions the other type of person, those who live according to the Spirit, which is talking about a Christian, someone who's been saved by Jesus. So, two different types of people, those who live according to the flesh, following its desires and and by the Spirit. Now, here's what you need to catch. Unless you have the Spirit of God, we're all that first person. That's where all of us start without Jesus. The person who's controlled by the flesh, by the sinful nature is another translation of that. And guys, that is every single one of us outside of Jesus. Come down to verse 7 there and have a look how serious the problem really is though. Because verse 7, it says that the sinful mind is hostile to God. It hates God and the scariest thing is it's unable to even do anything about it. Have a look at verse 7, read it with me. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, let me clarify something for a second. This isn't saying that for unbelievers, it's physically impossible for them to obey God. At any given moment, it's always possible to choose to obey God and and not to sin. That's always the case at any given moment in time. But what this is saying is that in our sin, left to ourselves, again and again, what we will do is choose sin. Even though no one's compelling us to, we again and again will choose to sin against God. And so, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God, says the Bible. Now, on our own, this is all of us, every single one of us, Sinful people that cannot save themselves. Even if they were to hear the message of the gospel, you don't need to earn your salvation. It's not about what you do, it's what Jesus has done. Trust in Him. Even if you were to hear that message, we're hostile against Him. We don't want it. We shut Him out. The image here, picture like, picture a dog, right? Like a vicious dog and it's found itself tangled in a barbed wire fence in a field somewhere. 
it's hurt and it's bleeding and it's, it's angry and it's horribly trapped and twisted up in the, in, the, in the barbs, when a person comes along to help a dog like that, it lashes out and it tries to bite them and it growls and it, it will not accept help. Even if a person would want to try and get close to a dog like that, in that, it will not have it savagely against the help that's been offered. That's the picture of us in our sin. The heart state of anyone who is outside of Christ. So that even when the word of the gospel is brought near, on our own, left to ourselves, we'd only greet it with hostility. Now, if all of that isn't grim enough... (laughs) I'm going to add to the picture, actually, and pick up another fact in all of this. Some of you will have seen this in Ephesians chapter 2 this week. It's a different picture again, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, actually says that we are dead in our sin. Not just hostile, but actually spiritually dead in our sin. It's saying to try and communicate the gospel to a person who's dead in their sin. It's like talking to a dead body. There's a major communication barrier there. You're like, hey, Bill, can, can you help me move this weekend? I just got a bunch of stuff that won't take long. Bill? And he's like, he's dead. And you're like, it's on, it's on a Wednesday, it won't take a lot of time. Do you reckon you could get me? He's just... <laughs> you're talking to a dead body, there's a major blockage at that point. Romans 8, we are hostile to God. Ephesians 2, we are actually dead in our sin. We have deaf ears that will not hear the Word of God. And the really tragic thing is, this is the only way to be saved. And so, friends, do you see the mountain that needs to be climbed, the chasm that needs to be crossed? How on earth can anyone be saved? How? How is that possible? Well, here's the last wonderful piece of the puzzle tonight, and this is huge. God saves us by His Spirit through giving us a new heart to accept His Word. Now, this is actually, we saw a picture of this in our Old Testament reading back in Ezekiel 37. Come back there. This is a very visceral depiction of this reality. Ezekiel 37, in its original context, this passage, Ezekiel 37, flip back with me, it's actually talking about God's Old Testament people, Israel, and as they are spiritually dead in exile, away from their country, wishing that they could come back home. Uh, Verse 11 actually makes that clear, Ezekiel 37, verse 11, and then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel, They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we are cut off because they're out of the land. So, in its original context, this is a picture of Israel dead in their sin, but this amazing image, this grisly image of dead, dusty bones coming back to life, it actually looks forward to our context, to a time where God would breathe life into His people and spiritually resurrect them and, in fact, physically resurrect them as well. Have a look at the problem, verse 1, start there. The hand of the Lord was on me and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, only you know. 
You see the picture, this vision of a graveyard, bones stacked high, bleached by the sun. The great enemy that needs to be defeated here is a valley of death. You don't get any deader than being a skeleton. It's a picture of Israel, dead in their sin spiritually, and it's also a picture of us, outside of Christ, dead in our sin, far from God. You couldn't be further from God than this picture paints. We will not repent, even if given the chance. And so what does God do? Well, have a look at verse 4. And then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, hear the message of the gospel. And so the command comes from God, hear the word of the Lord, and this is a command that can't be ignored because God will work a power to make sure it happens. Look at verse 5 and 6, talks about breath, which is the same as the word spirit, the same word in the Old Testament. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I'll make breath, I'll make spirit enter you and you'll come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And in the following verses, that's exactly what happens. And you see this raised army on their feet, the breath of life, the breath of God, the Spirit of God now in them. As a powerful picture of the Word of God, the Spirit of God that brings the dead back to life. And that's actually the exact same thing that we see again and again in the New Testament as well. Come with me to Titus chapter 3, we're still jumping around but not too much more of this. Come to Titus chapter 3 back in the New Testament and you'll see the New Testament describe the exact same kind of idea. Titus chapter 3 verse 3, it's a familiar context, dead, lost, without God, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Have a look there. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But, the big but, when the kindness and love of, our, of God, our Saviour, appeared, He saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. God intervenes in the death and the rejection of Him. He comes and He saves us by His mercy, not by what you do, but because of His grace. Now, as you expect, you'd read on and you'd expect it to say, He saved us because of His mercy, not by what you've done, by Jesus' death and resurrection, by Jesus who went to the cross, paid for your sin and was raised again. But have a look what He actually says. He saved us, verse 5, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. It's a bit different, isn't it? Now, we know, how did God save us? Well, by what Jesus did on the cross, His death and resurrection, true, but this verse says He saved us by the washing of rebirth, by renewal, by the Holy Spirit coming and working a miracle in us. Let's put this together for a second. First thing we saw tonight is that the only way to be saved is to hear a message, the message of the Gospel. You must hear the Word of God in the Gospel and you're saved by Jesus' work. Hear the message, true, but part two, 
No one will ever accept that message. No one will ever hear it and respond without God Himself intervening and working a miracle by His Holy Spirit, giving a new heart, ears to hear, a heart that no longer hates God and holds God at arm's length, but instead turns to Him. That's the only way the Word of God can ever break through to dead, sinful, hostile people who are far from Him, is by His Spirit giving us a completely new heart. And you need to catch this, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they're always working together in tandem. You can't separate one from the other, you can't have the help of one without the other. You you can't just simply learn your way to salvation, right? As a dead, hostile sinner who hates God, you can't just have someone argue so persuasively and convincingly that you're like, yeah, you know what, I will change my mind. You can't do that, except that the Spirit of God comes and does something in your heart. So you hear the Word and the Spirit of God works. In fact, to make this crystal clear, I've got one more verse for us. Because um, you, you hear the New Testament talk, you'll hear Christians talk about the idea of people need to be born again by the Spirit of God. John chapter 3 talks about that, born again by the Spirit. But look at how Peter talks about it here in this verse, up on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23, For you have been born again, just like you're born again by the Spirit, but not of imperishable seed, but of not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Born again by the Word of God, which is a living Word of God, because it is a Spirit Word of God. And so you need to be born again of the Word of God and of the Spirit. It's one and the same activity as those things work together. That's how God brings spiritually dead sinners back to life. He melts the heart, He brings faith and repentance, He grants it. It's all from God, from beginning to end. Salvation, all of it, is all 100% from God. Now, all of that has huge implications as we think about our life and our mission here on the coast and the hope of sharing the Gospel. Here's the first one. Friends, God will do whatever He wants to, by His Word and by His Spirit. God will do His will, by His Word and by His Spirit. There's no stopping Him. You can go to the next slide and you'll see it there. When God chooses to save a person, His Word will be effective. It will do the job. He will save those He plans to save. Now, humanly speaking, we need to communicate a message, we need to use words and, and we need to do that to everyone and anyone who will listen. We don't, don't, we don't know who God is going to save and so as persuasively as we can, we want to tell as many people as possible but we don't know what God's going to do, only God does. God needs to be the one who does the miraculous work of making that Word effective. He calls people by His Word and by His Spirit and they will come. The theological word for all of this is actually the phrase effectual calling, which is a thing that God does. It's the work of God by His Word and His Spirit to effectively call people to Himself, to bring faith and repentance. And so, humanly, we make a decision, we have faith, we have repentance, we decide to trust Jesus, but that's, that's as God effectively 
makes a call. His Word won't be stopped. It will do what He sends it to do. Isaiah 55 verse 11, He says, My Word goes out from my mouth, but it will not return to me empty. I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What a comfort! What a joy! God is on a mission in His Word, in His world, and His Word and Spirit cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. It will conquer. God will win. And we get the joy, the privilege of being caught up in this wonderful work with Him. But God's not going to be stopped. What a joy. Second implication of all of this, and it flows from the first. God can and does save anyone, anyone. And so no one is too far gone, no, no heart's too hard, no soul too far lost. God can and does, He, he takes delight in saving the worst of sinners. <laughs> sinners like my, my, my mate's dad from school, who seems so far from God. Uh, sinners like the Apostle Paul, sinners like you and me. There's no one who's out of range, no one who's... It gives hope. It gives hope in evangelism. I don't know what it is for you or who it is for you. Maybe it's that mate who just loves to tease you relentlessly because you're a Christian. God can save that person. Maybe, it's, maybe it is your dad, that staunch atheist and maybe he's not hosing down parcel on the front lawn, right? But, but you know what he thinks, and he, he kind of looks at you and he's like, I wish you'd kind of grow up and get over this silly Jesus stuff and realise it's all a big joke. When are you going to stop being so silly? We see those people in our lives and, and we say, man, I, I know that I should believe that they could be saved, but they never will. God, they'll never become a Christian. I could never convince that person to become a Christian. And you know what? You'd be right in saying that. If it were up to you, you never could convince them to become a Christian. In fact, you couldn't even convince the nicest, most keenest, interested in Jesus person in the world to become a Christian. You couldn't do that on your own. If we were up to us, we'd never see a single person saved. But the good news is, it's not. Because it's God who saves. He can and does save anyone. That's good news. Here's the third thing, this is so obvious when you see these things stacking up, but here it is, prayer is at the absolute centre of evangelism. To go and seek and save the lost, to share Jesus with the world and yet remain prayerless and self-dependent, that's beyond ridiculous. It's just stupid, it's, it's, it's turning up to a round of golf without the clubs, it's going fishing without the hook and the bait and the line, it's an absurdity, it's ridiculous to even go there. In sharing the good news of Jesus, there is a real job we need to do, we, we need to communicate the gospel and at, in, as best we can and good if it can be skillfully done, run a good event, get Cerrone's pizza, not Domino's, all that, cool, answer questions well and persuasively, all that work and effort is the things that God uses, humanly speaking, but I think sometimes we get so busy doing those things that we just leave our clubs at home or we forget the fishing rod. We need to pray. We must pray. 
Ever since Jesus' death and resurrection, there's been seasons of spiritual revival in our world. Moments where thousands, if not millions of people have been coming to faith through a mighty work of God's Spirit, by His Word, through the preaching of the Gospel, whole cities and countries turned upside down in these revivals. But do you know what the common, a big common element in all of those things, aside from the preaching of the Word itself? Prayer. Fervent, persistent, urgent, dependent, humble prayer. We need to pray. We must pray. Now, EV Night Life starts tomorrow night. There's going to be a stack of people there checking out Jesus. It's, the gospel will be preached. Dave Jensen knows what he's doing. It's a good night, right? But have you been praying? Have you been praying about that? Will you pray that God would do a mighty work by His Spirit? Invite, come along, put it all sure. But will you pray that God would be doing something huge? It's at the absolute centre of evangelism. Fourth and last, you also can become a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you, even you, can become one. Now, often I, I do think people are sometimes afraid to become Christians on some levels as they sit in church and think about these things. For a bunch of reasons, people will say to themselves, they'll say, what, what if I'm not good at it? What if I'm not good enough? Like, I know I'm going to need to change and what if, what if I can't or I'm not very good at that? What if I make a decision to follow Jesus but then I change my mind at a later date? I don't want to go back on what I've said. What if my belief isn't strong enough? What if doubts come and knock that around? What if, what if, what? we have these doubts, right? And I'm sure if this is you, you've got your own fears or at least reasons that are stopping you now, there is a real decision you do need to make if you want to become a Christian. There's a real commitment you will be making, a real perseverance you'll need to have, a real repentance that will need to be real. All that's true, but here's what this means for you tonight. If you become a Christian, you will do none of that on your own. You won't be alone in these things. Instead, the promise of God is that He will is that He will put His Spirit in you. If you have Jesus as your Saviour and as your King, you'll be made into a new person by the Spirit of God. God will do a work in you. God Himself will come and live in you. He'll take up residency in you. He'll give you a heart that wants to follow God, a heart that loves Him and loves His ways and loves His Word. God will sustain you by His Spirit and by that same Word. He'll hold on to you as you hold on to Him. That is the work of the Spirit. And so, if that's where you're at, you're sitting on the fence, what do I do? I don't know. You can let go of those fears. You can come to Him. You can trust Him to save you, to rule your life as your King, and you can trust Him to now live in you by His Spirit, to renovate you. That's a wonderful thing. Anyone can become a Christian. You can. God's promise is that He'll be at work in you and all of that. And so, can I urge you, if you haven't made that decision, consider what's stopping you. Nothing that God can't handle. I'm going to take a moment in a second to lead us in prayer, but before we do, I'm going to invite the band up, they'll come on up. I want you to take a moment now to reflect and think on the things we've seen about our God tonight. You might even want to take a moment right now to pray.
that God, by His Spirit and Word, would do a work. Let me lead us in prayer now. Oh, Father God, we are blown away by your mercy and your grace. Salvation that is all from God and and none of us. We thank you for Jesus' death and resurrection, that he's paid for our sin, that, that he is the first to be raised, that we can be confident we will rise with him. And we thank you for your Spirit's work in our hearts when you called us to yourself. Thank you that you have even granted us faith and repentance to grasp hold of this wonderful gift of salvation. And Father, all of it's from you, none of it's from us. And so we thank and praise you for what you've done, for your glory. Amen.